Welcome inside 254. Let's close the office door and start the conversation. Dearest listeners, today we're bringing you a very special collaborative episode that we made after having a roundtable discussion with our friends over at Raging Chicken Press Out to Coop podcast. So please enjoy this conversation about sexual harassment, sexual assault, and what's going on in Pennsylvania politics, as well as the bigger picture with some of these structural power issues. And thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. Uh, This is Kevin Mahoney, editor and founder of Raging Chicken Press, and welcome to our first ever, and I hope not the last, um, collaborative podcast with the folks uh, over at Inside 254. It's Amanda Morris and Colleen Clemens. Um, So to start off today, um, why don't we just kind of go around and kind of introduce ourselves, um, and then we'll talk a little about what we're kind of going to get into today. So Amanda, why don't you start us off? Sure. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Sean. We're really happy to be collaborating with you today. I know we're going to be talking about some really important issues. Um, And I like that our podcasts approach these issues from slightly different angles. So I think it'll give um, all of our listeners on both sides, both podcasts, a really good, uh, broader perspective. Um, So thank you for the idea. I'm glad we're doing this. Um, I am an associate professor at Kutztown University uh, in the English department with you. Colleen. Um, I'm also the faculty union president um, for our chapter of APSCUF um, until May 2018, not that I'm counting. Um, (laughs) So uh, I have that sort of labor perspective as well. Um, So I think that's all you need to know about me. I'll throw it over to my podcast partner and bud. (laughs) Hi, this is Colleen. Thanks so much for having us because I think it's really exciting that you're inviting us on since we talk about feminism so often on our podcast so it's really nice to that you're bringing in this gender studies perspective so i'm associate professor of english at kutztown university and there i'm director of women's and gender studies and so our feminist activist podcast is very excited to be talking to you today Mm-hmm. Um, hello, everyone. This is Sean Kitchen. I am the assistant editor with the Region Chicken Press. I'm also living out here in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Um, I spend my free time during the week when they're in session. So it's <laughs> sort of like being in hell, and I enjoy it. <laughs> um, I spent the past few weeks uh, listening to all the rumors that are swirling around the Capitol, uh, especially around this issue of the sexual harassment scandal. Um, you know, I thought it was a really good idea to get all four of us together and talk about this. Um, you know, the first two big stories broke this week uh, with Dale Leach and uh, House Representative Thomas Calta Jerome out in the Kutztown or Berks County area um, in writing. And um, we're about like two legislators deep into a uh, rabbit hole. It contains about like six or seven more legislators that are going to be involved in this. So I guess it's a good, good, good way to get this out. Of the, good idea to get a uh, good chance to get this out of the way now or to really have really great conversation on this. Yeah, great. So and I think that today um, that we're going to kind of have a roundtable on this. And I'll tell you, I have got two uh, agendas um, um, for this today and for why we bring it together. Well, first, kudos to um, Sean. Sean was the one who actually um, um, came up with the idea and thought this would be a good idea to bring our podcast together for this. So kudos to Sean for that. Um, and thank you to Amanda and Colleen for saying, hey, yeah, it's a good idea. And it's, it's a crazy, hectic time of year to be able to kind of come on and do this. But um, I know Colleen was like, rushing to get to the computer and 
all the time, right? Jogging through the grocery store. It's good. Um, the, four, then, the four of us finding a similar time is astounding. So yeah, I'm really excited. I agree. And so for my agenda for this is like one is like, you know, like I've said, is that we've been coming at this issue from um, looking at what's happening in terms of the capital doing some kind of natural coverage and things like this. And people know that Colleen was on um, uh, for an out to coop extra. We were talking about toxic masculinity when she was kind of being attacked from these kind of right wing trolls and so on. And so that's what we kind of like broached this this kind of interchange, this this connection between Inside 254. And so, you know, that was number one to kind of follow up on that conversation. And then secondly, the other agenda here is, look, I, I think and people have heard me on our podcast say this quite often, is that we need to kind of start networking and building our connections among folks that are doing this work and looking for these opportunities to bring these conversations together. Because um, um, exactly as Amanda had said and Colleen has said, these are not kind of like opposing conversations, right? But we're kind of hitting different audiences. And so the more that we kind of uh, kind of have an opportunity um, to bring these discussions together to kind of like double our efforts, so to speak, um, the better. So agreed. So, it's all about intersectionality. Yay. Bing, ding, 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 right. ding, ding, ding. <laughs> right. So maybe a way to kind of begin for today, especially because, um, um, you know, Sean and I just got done talking with all the stuff with specific what's happening here in, in Pennsylvania, our own our own podcast. But maybe kind of go kind of bring it over to you all, um, say kind of over the past several weeks. I mean, obviously, this is much a much bigger conversation just the past several weeks. But a lot of this is broken, especially since uh, the Harvey Weinstein stuff has taken place. And then now we're seeing this happening right here in our state capital. So we just kind of give it over to Amanda and Colleen um, to get us, get us going on a round table. Sure. Uh, do you want to start, my friend, or I have some points to make? Uh, you go ahead. Okay. So um, I'm just going to throw these points out here. We can address them right away or we can talk about them later as they come up. But um, number one, the idea of um, the tax money, taxpayer money being used to um, pay off uh, victims of sexual assault and sexual harassment, both at the state house level and at the congressional level, which we've seen, is abhorrent to me. It is terrible that uh, these bodies that people were elected are using taxpayer money to pay off um, these victims. That needs to stop. Um, the other point I want to make is that um, so just because men are Democrats and support a feminist agenda does not mean that they cannot also commit sexual harassment and commit sexual assault. Now, I, I, ha I hate that we have to keep saying hashtag not all men, but we know that it's not all men. But the problem is it's too many men. And so this leads to my next point. I have actually gotten just in the last few weeks with all of these stories coming out, I have like hit my limit. My patience is at an end. I no longer as a feminist woman, as a feminist identifying woman, I no longer want an equal seat at the table. I want women to be the majority voices in public life. I want women to take the lead for a while because men have been leading and, and leading in society and running everything forever. And they're really fucking it up. And no offense to the men in my life who I admire and you two are some. And of course, my own husband and my colleagues. But the bottom line is, I don't care if it's not all men. We're done. We're done. I think men have taken it. They've screwed it up. It's time for let, for men to take a step back and let women take the lead for a while. So, 
Well, I say this. I mean, given the track record of men for the past uh, several millennia, I, I think there's a strong argument. Say, hey, let's give women a shot for a while, huh? And honestly, we got we've got lots of different societies to look at as for um, for for practical procedural ways to make this happen. Indigenous societies in this land look at the Haudenosaunee, look at some of the southwestern tribes, look at other indigenous nations just in this land and around the world. Some of them are matriarchal. Some of them are matrilineal, and that means that the matriarchal societies, women are the ones making all the decisions, including whether to go to war and what happens in the society. I think we've got good examples out there. I think it's time for us to really seriously consider shifting to a more matriarchal society so that women are taking more point, more lead, and also getting more of the credit for doing all the work. So. That's where I am. <laughs> no, I think it's a great point. I want to, one thing that you said that, you know, I come back to is, you know, I, I had this similar, I had conversations that kind of revolved around this in some of my classes, right? Afterwards, some students, we'd be talking about these issues and so on. And I kept on coming back to say, I don't understand what, what men are so freaked out about to begin with, right? I said, why is this even hard, like, like hard to hear, right? And this is one of these things that, that just, just troubles me to no end is that, you know, I know, and Amanda, I know you well enough now, you know, so there's going to be people that are going to hear what you said, right? And be like, oh, now she's blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't understand why we can't have a conversation that starts from that from that direction. I mean, if you're, if you're telling me that there's not ample reason, right, to be absolutely enraged all the time, given the track record, uh, well, you know, look at what, what, what a lot of people are only seeing for the first time right now. Right? A lot of men are only seeing for the first time right now. Why is it hard to hear somebody that's pissed off about stuff like this? I mean, as a person who's pissed off a lot in my life, right, <laughs> I recognize that that stuff comes from things that I care about. And so how is it hard to have a conversation to begin from this place? Because and frankly, I think I think you're right. Um, I think you're right that we that we need this. And that is only one of the um, uh, one of the beginnings of this reckoning that we have to have before we can so ever can get I, to a point where we can, can talk I about say equity. something about that. Yeah, yeah please. Can I, jump, can I say so? I think what happens in these conversations is we don't talk about money and power and we instead talk about sex and gender. And so to answer your question, Kevin, uh, you know, I think what's wrapped up in that anxiety that you're talking about is the anxiety of losing power and financial status. And I would, one of my goals of this conversation is to really separate money and power and sex and gender, because this is not a sex problem. And I don't even necessarily think this is a gender problem. The problem is that power is gender, gender. Right. So there's a difference. This isn't a men problem. This is that power has been gendered and in the seat of a patriarchal structure for so long. It's almost like we don't know how to envision how to unpack it. And quite frankly, men, I, and I know I, I, I know we're saying it's not necessarily gendered, but the bottom line is I think a lot of men cannot imagine a society where they are not at the center of power. When I'm talking about this issue with my students, I talk about how it doesn't feel good to give up privilege. People probably don't want to give that up. And in order for there to be some kind of equity, there are certain groups of people, particularly white men, again, structurally, that are going to have to give up some privilege for equity to happen. And I understand individually how that causes anxiety I don't think this is like a women with pitchforks movement or a witch hunt. I think it's 
finally maybe the tipping point of what feminists have been saying for decades, if not centuries. And I, I, I would like to add that um, in Pennsylvania, I believe our political situation is probably like the best suited for this. I think like 18% of our legislature, not even like, or maybe like 12% or something like that is represented by female uh, legislators, by women. And uh, we have one of the most astoundingly lowest representations of women in our, in a state legislature in the country. And, you know, over the summertime, uh, while I was on vacation in California, I was keeping up with the happening in Pennsylvania politics and, um, you know, state representative, female representative, uh, through her campaign account, shot off a thing about like how women are underrepresented in Pennsylvania. And I shot it back. Like I've retweeted it and pretty much said, yeah, I've never seen a woman uh, be involved in a major decision in Pennsylvania in the three years that I've been out here. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I shot that tweet off, I had like a male staffer from like the Senate, a high power male staffer pretty much tell me, no, that's just nothing but a lie. You don't know what you're talking about. And then after he retweeted it, I had a couple more male senators actually like try to tell me I was lying here about this. You know, when women have no place in power in Pennsylvania politics. And then when the Me Too movement started happening and Angela Columbus wrote that uh, op-ed um, or not an op-ed, but more like a, she wrote as a uh, contributor, a not as a reporter. Um, she wrote an article basically stating that she's never seen a woman in the 10 plus years she's been in Harrisburg sit down at the table when it came to budget policy decisions uh, in Pennsylvania that, you know, they, like they like women have don't have a seat at the table in Pennsylvania pretty much for anything. Um, one of the, the one of the things that I watched SB3 to vote for the abortion bill back in um, fe- February this year and pretty much the only female senator uh, on that judiciary committee was Senator Lisa Pascola from the from uh, the Berks County area. She was the only woman sitting on that Judiciary Committee vote from either party uh, waiting to, to vote to decide on um, letting the 20-week abortion ban come through to, uh, come through to um, the, the Senate floor. And one of the things, uh, you know, you've seen the past couple of weeks, especially here in Pennsylvania, um, there was the press conference a couple of weeks ago was pretty much like the opening act of this scandal, the, uh, the opening salvo of it pretty much where 12 female legislators from both parties stood up on the stage and said, uh, no more, you know, no more sexual harassment, no more uh, having to self shot in secrecy, no more payouts. We're going to be introducing these bills. And like the male legislators who were in the room were standing in support with them in the back of the room, you know, where like the news cameras are at, you know, just some observations uh, from the Capitol you know, within the, over the past few months and frankly, the past couple of years. Well, and that's the point, right? That's a, that that's not equitable. There's no equity. It, it, the visual of that is that it's uh, one of inequity. And so when decisions are being made, and again, it doesn't mean like if a woman's at the table, she's going to necessarily do something feminist. We all watched Michelle Bachman, right? <laughs> we know that's not necessarily the case. However, Equity and, and perspective might, or perspective in ec- might actually help some equity happen. But the visuals that women are seeing this year of a bunch of white dudes sitting around a table making decisions about healthcare and our bodies. I mean, at what point, at what point does everybody just stop and say, this is not okay? I know Amanda talks about this a lot, right? What are the optics of this? Is no one stopping and saying, what is the optic here? Yeah, I think well, that's like, I, I think that's like in right in true that 
there's people especially look i mean republican party i i you know they've gone off the rails in so many ways right um in so many ways so i'm just going to leave them out of it like for a second because in so many ways where where the obligation comes from um a democratic party like within this state right um that makes claims um to have progressive values makes claims to kind of like be in support of women right they have an obligation in my mind right to be out in front on this stuff and to be addressing it in a proactive way so yeah one would think well and this is why you know i know that you all had you were you know kind of again not just waiting around right going out and kind of holding training sessions for women who want to run for want to run for office because i think that's what's really what it's going to take because this not only does the democratic party i mean i look at what's happening right now in terms of how they're responding to Dalen Leach and how they're responding to stuff in the Capitol. And I think it's shameful. I think it's, but it's not surprising, but it's I would silent. say it is absolute silence. I mean, I, I, from it's not surprising. Um, like the Demo- the Republican party does this really well, even if they don't care about women's rights and stuff like that, you can put that out there. They consistently put the young female, younger uh, legislators, male and female, out in front of every single major policy issue when they have a press conference in Harrisburg, right? Martina White or Tara Tuhill or some of the younger uh, female Republicans, whenever there's a major policy initiative, they are standing, they get to speak at the microphone first, and they're usually, you know, conducting these press conferences or events. When it comes from the Democratic Party, it's just a bunch of old white dudes who have a foot and a half inside their coffin who are leading the policy discussion, who are going off message, who are going on 15, 20 minute tangents when the press conference is maybe a half an hour long and they're overshooting their times. Um, this, so it, it really, for me, it's not surprising that uh, especially the House Democrats, Frank Dermody, are acting in this way because this is how they always act. They always act by just putting, trying out a bunch of old white dudes who are almost dead at this point uh, to lead these major policy initiatives and not really talk about what's, what's the actual problems at hand. And I look at it like this and it's like, look, they have they have also when when candidates want to run that could potentially challenge them when women candidates want to run, when progressives, people from the left want to run, they basically will pat them on the back and say, well, good luck to you. No support, no training, no money, nothing. Right. Right. Which is why, you know, again, like like, you know, right back at you guys is like basically saying, well, this is why we got to do it ourselves, because no one else is going to do it. And that not only are we going to train the representation, right, we're talking about this, but to be able to kind of shift the discussion about like how we even deal with. And I don't want to say just women's issues here, but I'm talking about policy issues, about how we think about, you know, about care, how we think about our communities. I mean, all that is tied up in this discussion. The idea of the greater good, right? The common good. So the fact that women have not been taken into consideration for these arguments on the left about we want to fight for the common good. We want to be for the greater good. We want all in one. Well, except those women who want to share power with us. Oh, we can't have that. So the old boys network in this state, my understanding from what I've seen and people who I've talked to who are involved in democratic politics in the state of Pennsylvania, and I've heard this back since when I was in my 20s in Pittsburgh, it is an old boys network. Absolutely. And it is no, they don't support, they don't reach out. They, the party should be doing outreach into communities and into segments of the population where there are women who might actually want to run, but who have no idea how to begin. I mean, Colleen and I should not be the ones. Okay. I, I don't mind that we do this. This is good because we care, but we are not the ones that should be holding 
political boot camps for women who are interested in running for office. The Democratic fucking party of this state should be running those in every county, if they can, to encourage more women to do outreach. Why aren't they doing that? And what happened then? Well, in Whoville, they say, that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. For a couple of hours out of the whole year, we are the people that we always hoped we would be. Dearest listeners, we know you enjoy what you're hearing. We work hard to bring you excellent content, and now we're asking for your help. We need to pay our hosting fees for the year so you can help us be sustainable. A one-time donation of $25 or become a patron at the $8 level and you will get one of our brand new hot off the press logo journals for you to write your resistance thoughts in as we go into 2018. So donate directly to myself or Colleen through Facebook Messenger or become a patron on our Podbean page for $8 a month and you'll get the journal along with some other swag. We appreciate your generosity in helping us sustain our feminist activist podcast to help you survive the era of Trump. Thanks for keeping us sustainable. Yeah, well, it goes right back to power. I mean, exactly what you said. And that's that's what, but, you know, again, it's like I feel like we're in this transitional stage right there where it, it, we should we should not have to be the ones that are doing this when there's a party apparatus, when there's this kind of stuff. And yet we're the ones who have to do this. Right. And I say that, you know, again, we're being pointed at the Democratic Party right now, in part because they're they're in they're in the limelight. But I'll also kind of add to this. This goes for all progressive organizations. Right. That are contributing to this. And I'll give you this this perfect example. Um, you may have seen this. Josh Idelson kind of wrote this piece um, kind of probably about a month ago now was basically calling out the ways that um, kind of in labor unions across the country. Right. That there's the similar kind of problem that kind of they're seeing there. Right. And in there, it was only a pair paragraph, but basically said in Pennsylvania, right, there are women who were basically pushed to the margins, right, by some of the labor leadership in this country, in this state, right, pushed to the margins, forced to the sidelines, and um, were just kind of made to feel completely unwelcome, right? And I know personally from people who, this is, this is hearsay at this point, right, um, that basically came out and were basically calling women unconscionable names, right, even through email exchanges and things like this to try to push them out of it because they felt threatened for their party. And this was in PAAFL-CIO leadership, right? And so I think that not only do we need to kind of be talking about um, just the Democratic Party, but this needs to be an every single like progressive, so-called progressive movement that these conversations are kind of front and center. And we start thinking about power, power sharing, about kind of how we actually kind of are promoting candidates and how we're going to do mutual aid. And one of the things that we've talked about Raging Chicken quite, quite often, and this is a little bit kind of is connected but not, is we talk about independent media, the stuff that you guys are doing, the stuff that we're doing. 
It's like, you know, frankly, again, we shouldn't have to be doing this stuff, <laughs> right? Uh, we do it because we care, because we think it's important. Um, but the only kind of alternative to it is like, well, then we have to find supporters to kind of can support it. Because guess what? The big donors aren't going to give us money, right? Whether, you know, we're talking about labor unions, whether we're talking about Democratic Party, we're talking about the progressives, we're talking about faculty members for that matter, even though we're all faculty members. Um, they're not going to be like throwing chunks of change and seeing this kind of investment is. And that, that, that's horrible to have to say. Um, but it is kind of, you know, to, I mean, you know, to borrow the slogan, it's on us, right, to have to actually change this. Oh, yeah. You don't see NPR banging down our door or MSNBC banging down your door. I mean, we could even go to there if you want to go there. You know, the big media, everybody talks about the big media. Well, OK, big media on the left. Those of us who are doing this sort of grassroots work, trying to bring some of those quieter stories um, to a bigger audience, we don't see them banging down our doors like, hey, we want to syndicate you. Hey, we want we want to include you in the conversation. So. Again, Colleen and I talk about this a lot on our podcast, structural. There are a lot of structural issues in this country that not only keep out more progressive voices, but also keep out women and women's perspectives. And I think that we need to really start complicating and analyzing all these things that are considered like sacred cows. I read a great piece yesterday by Andy Zeisler, and she was like, I'm, I don't you don't even, we don't even need to put D or R next to their name. What is the benefit of this? Like, this is not a party issue. This is bigger than party. Yep. And so I don't give a shit if you're a Democrat, a Republican, and I, I don't give a shit. Just put your name in the paper. Because why are we classifying what your party is in a situation that it does not matter? Because it is a structure that is focused on money, power, and silence. And in this case, we are learning very quickly um, you know, everything that we hold sacred, right? NPR, the New York Times, you know, all these things, Charlie Rose, PBS, you know, not, no structure as, as quote unquote progressive as, or liberal as it's supposed to be. These, they are not immune to harassment and assault against women and men, right? Like these are all things that are focused on money and power and not equity. And until any of these parties are going to talk about equity, at this point, it almost feels like not one of them is going to be sustainable through this cultural moment, I hope. That's a great point. That's a great point. And I think about, you know, one of the th one of the consequences of, uh, you know, of the silence. And I'm glad you kind of paired those up about money, power and silence, because, mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the things that you, Sean and I talked about on our podcast earlier today is that um, in like Angela Columbus from the um, Philly Inquirer, right, who's been breaking some of these stories. Um, what, one of the things that she pointed to and now some more women legislators are coming forward and talking about this. There were actual lists that were circulated among women legislators and staffers um, basically saying, look, you do not want to be in an elevator with this person you do not want to be alone in a room with this person i wouldn't say like physical list but like whisper list no, like th you don't want to be around this person that's what there's, I'm there's about. no like we all have them we all have them we yeah there, there's... all have them we all know all women place i have ever been in in any school situation i have ever been in i know that list and there so do I. I know who not to talk it. to. I know who not to be in a room with. I know who to avoid. I know where not to park. I know those things. We know those things. I know. Like, when, right. when, I was going to say, when I brought this, you know, talked to some of the female legislator lobbyists and stuff like that, not legislators, but they were all, yeah, we've known not to be around this guy for right. years now. Right. It's like, common knowledge. 
average among us. And that's why I'm I'm watching my face and Amanda's face on this. We don't even look mad. We're just we just look exhausted. Yes. I'm just yep. watching our faces and I'm like, you can't even get a rise out of us because we're like, yep. Yeah, been saying this for years. Yep, been saying this for years. And thank you everybody, right, for coming along in 2017. We're super <laughs> grateful. But did it take this long to actually believe, you know, in the Me Too movement when Time named those people, that video moved me because one of the women said we can't all be sluts and liars that's right we can't all be sluts and liars so even if there is that outlier jesus like we can't all be lying yeah and i actually just saw uh i think it was i want to say it was the cbc there was a uh ian campo um, he was, uh, I just saw this video that he did and I posted it yesterday. He's basically talking about how, you know, he, they were driving, he and his wife were driving and their only spot left in this parking garage was next to a van. And she was like, no, 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 you can't park there. And he's like, what are you talking about? I can't park there. She's like, no, somebody will take me. And he's like, what the hell are you yeah. talking about? She's like, no, that this is what I've, this is what we're, this is what we learned. So whether it's parking in a parking garage, whether it's that's when the men in our lives are going, oh, this is the messaging. This is what you've been thinking about. I don't ever have to think about that. I mean, if this is the moment where men in particular need to wake up and go, oh, I didn't realize how different your experience walking through life is. And then that goes into politics. It goes into education. It goes into just living our daily lives and in our professions. I mean, I hope this is sustainable. I hope this doesn't just die like a phase. I mean, we really need structural change and we need men on board to make it happen. Well, and instead of seeing, you know, if we come back to Pennsylvania, instead we see, uh, that the former state rep Jewel Williams, right, got paid, they paid out $30,000 to them and is now Philadelphia's sheriff, right? <laughs> if every sentence didn't end that way, maybe we wouldn't be so frustrated. And is now Philadelphia's sheriff, right? And now holds another position of power and money. So, you know, it's like, if it stopped with the period after his name, I wouldn't be so angry all the time. But Holy it's like, on. we paid them out. We bought off somebody's silence. And this who's this guy saying, oh, I wish it would have gone to, I wanted it to go to trial, but they just told me to pay her off. Like, the Cal- really? Yeah, Cal Jerome. Like, uh- Is that great? Yeah, tell me, tell us about that. Because I was like, oh, yeah, I'm sure you really wanted that to go to trial, dude. Like, uh, Cal Tijerone, uh is, is from the Berks County, is from Reading, Berks County. Um, you know, he, he had an accuser come forward. Uh, she went on the record, a pretty lengthy story about how he harassed her. And I believe the issues are different. Um, like the two issues that are talked about in the uh, Post-Gazette Inquirer story. That's what um, I'm looking at, yeah. Mm-hmm. He was paid, uh, the, his victim was paid $250,000 in 2015. Yeah. Now, this is before the elections. This is before the 2015 elections. And the way I look at it like this is um, he's also the co-chair of the House Judiciary Committee. And um, I said, well, OK. So he was put back on that committee chair in, res- in light of this after he was reelected in 2000 for 2016, 2017, the current session that we're in. And pretty much or the 2017, 2016, the current session. And my, my argument is he, he could have as a form of punishment, they could have taken him off that chair. And someone's like, well, right. no, you can't what do that. Because- comma and just didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> That's but the problem. 
and also the thing is, if the party was serious about getting him out, they could have found someone to primary against him and to get him out of office. And instead, he gets he gets to keep his um he gets to keep his chair, and now he has no signs of resigning, and he wants to run for re-election in 2017 for the 18 and 19 session. So he has no plans as of stopping. And it looks like the same thing's going to be happening here with Dan Leach too, the state senator. Well, um, you know, but why wouldn't they run? Why wouldn't right. they run? What is there stopping them from running? Well, this this is something, you know, one of the things that, again, Sean and I were talking a little bit about before was that, look, here's, there's no, when Sean first told me about that guy, right? I, and, I was like, okay, look, you say, well, you know, they, they couldn't take him down. I said, wait, wait, where's the law? Where's the law that the Democratic Party could not could not do this? And frankly, there is no law. There is no rule that says because he's a, a senior member or whatever that he has to be that. It's just because that's the way things have been done. And that's the point. He's been that's up here for 40 years. Point. He deserves a seat. And that's how we're going to reward him. Well, exactly. I mean, this is what it just drives me absolutely insane is because it's what we're talking about. We're talking about women who have been like abused and then given hush money. Right. Mm-hmm. And a guy who just basically said, well, because we don't want to make everyone uncomfortable, we're <gasps> going to let him continue in his position of power. I mean, that's really what's at stake for me. And, you know, it, you know. And again, I don't. I, I hear you know what what Colleen you you're just kind of talking about before too as well. I think about like this is that because precisely because I don't live through right the secret lists right the whisper list about who not to be in because that is not forced on me right just because I'm a white guy right requires me in my mind to listen to people who this does happen to. Right. I mean, I think that's kind of like the issue of, in my mind is like, why wouldn't you start from the perspective of like, Hey, guess what? There's, there's a different experience because you know, these women are not me and I'm not a woman. So maybe I should listen to what that experience sounds like, as opposed to starting from the, the, the starting from, well, we should question her, yeah. right? We should wonder, well, maybe, you know, he, no, 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 no. I mean, why don't you start from this is why you know, I got into an argument back and forth with 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 somebody last week about saying, look, I'm just going to start from I'm going to believe these women that are coming forward. Right? Thank you. And guess hey, what? That's it. That's it. We I can't mean, all be sluts and liars. Exactly. Believe women. Fuck. Why is that so hard? And believe doesn't mean not <sighs> interrogate. Right. No. Not, I don't mean like interrogation, but like believe doesn't mean then immediately it's over. Right. But at least let's start at the place of believing. Let's just start there. That is the big, like with empowerment counseling, working with domestic violence and sexual assault survivors, that's the foundation. You believe what the person is telling you and you go from there. It is not my job to arbitrate and find out what's true and what isn't. That's the law's right. job. Exactly. But when I'm dealing with the person, the foundation is I believe you. And that is not the foundation in most of these conversations is if you watch how these people are getting dragged through the media, uh, do, does anybody wonder why no one comes forward? I mean, it's it, the cycle of it is amazing to me. Why didn't these women speak up sooner? Uh, are you watching what you're saying? Like, and also like the, um, yeah, I, I would say for that, the, the statement, uh, by Senator Dan Leach. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> God, like the statement. Um, oh my God. Basically like, even- so, we, we talked about this in the Colleen podcast. He, I, I, I just, I want to give her a hug. Well, like, and I'll tell you, it's like so Colleen, I, I, Colleen I, is a friend I, of ours too as well. I, 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 okay, we so I was in the well. camp 
as I was reading the story on Leech, like, okay, he's probably going to find a way to survive this. He probably won't be able to have to resign. And then I, like, went to his Facebook page after I got done reading the story at, like, 9 o'clock, 9.30 in the morning, and I read his original statement. Like, this is before he went into, like, victim blaming and making jokes about it. He went off. First thing, uh, this was a whisper campaign started by an ally of my political opponent. Then he went into attacking... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just watching Amanda just dig her <laughs> face into her hands. Uh, it's just... just uh, and then went right after the female journalist who wrote the story, uh, basically saying, well, she's part of the PLCA and she like her and her organization, the Legislative Correspondents Association out here in Harrisburg, the newsroom, uh, they invite me to tell jokes every year at their gridiron dinner. You know, and sh- this is the story she wrote. She doesn't like my jokes. And then he names the one person who went on the record by name and started criticizing her because this 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 uh, this former staffer who happens to be the top fundraiser for the democratic party in in the state uh happens to be uh, names her by name and just said oh she didn't like my jokes well how come she worked for me a second time you know afterwards you know after she had these concerns the first time around obviously it wasn't that bad because she came back and worked for me the next time around and that then then after i read that i was like okay you've like i just stopped reading and like he has to resign after this there's no way like you've attacked pretty much all the women involved in this story without saying, I'm sorry, without a single thing. And then came the joke about, you know, a woman posting a photo. Oh, here's, I stand with Dalen with his arm respectfully on my shoulder. And he's like, I'm sorry. I traumatized you. Like, are you fucking kidding me? You just got, you just got accused of sexual harassment and you're joking about it the next day. Well, and this this is the kind of stuff that disturbs me, and, and it goes right back to what you all are talking about, Colleen and Amanda, about the kind of structural issues here, as I and the lack of the ability to and to think about systems and how we respond to things. Because you know, I look at this if you if you follow systems, and you know that everything that Dalen Leach is saying is just like out of a playbook. Right. We can recognize it on the left when it's like the Koch brothers funding like an alternative legislative practice through the American Legislative Exchange Council. We could say, look, there's this whole structure. Then this is how it happens. But this is the same thing. Right. Except it's got a longer history. Right. And it's consistent. And it's a same kind of playbook. So if, you know, this is the argument I was having about, you know, why would I start from believe women? I said, well, because the track record of the men believing the men, not so good. <laughs> right. On the other side we of it. automatically believe men. Right. That's the structure of our society right. is that we automatically believe men. We automatically say, well, if a man said it or said it didn't happen, then he must be telling the truth. Instead of flipping that script and saying, actually, Maybe we need to start by believing the women and questioning the men. And also, like, the question of due process. Well, he deserves due process. Well, you know, calling one of your accusers who called you out in a public Facebook statement said, no, the reason why we didn't come forward is because we were scared of your reaction. And then he goes on to call her a horrific monster and a wrecking ball of human hatred. Maybe that's why. Where, where's the due right. process in that? Is that not an admission of like your own hubris at that point? But let's just I say mean, no, this goes back to the point about like due, due process is about the law, right? Yeah, this is, so let that stuff let that stuff work itself out if there's going to be those cases through, right? But come on, I don't know. But then, well, and then we complicate all this with the NDAs, right? These non-disclosure right. agreements mm-hmm. that I feel like we have to talk about because. 
I, I see them as women who are stuck between a rock and a hard place. And if you talk and if you read what women who have taken these NDAs say, they're like, I don't want to take it. And then I feel guilty now because I'm seeing all this happening and I can't speak up and I'm so I'm still afraid. Right. So the the structure of the NDA is like, well, sure, you got some money. But then you don't get your due process either. And I really, I don't, I mean, maybe some women are uh, dancing away, like, yay, I got my money. But if you talk to women, they usually regret them and they feel that they are powerless because of them and voiceless. Like what you're hearing? Become a patron of our podcast and help us be sustainable. Click that little green Become a Patron button on our Podbean page and it'll get you started. But here's the cool news. There are three different patron levels that you can participate in to show your love and support of our hard work for you. A monthly commitment of just $1, which is less than the cost of a cup of coffee, gets you a large, cool, square sticker for your computer with our freshly designed logo, and you can share the love. For $5 a month, you get two stickers, a shout out on Facebook and on the podcast, plus our newest patron level of $8 a month, You'll get all the love and swag of the $1 and $5 levels, but also early access to every episode and expert extra. So join our patron team at this $8 a month level and be in the know before everyone else. All of your donations are greeted with our deepest gratitude. Thanks for keeping us sustainable. This And this, again, this is exactly the point. So the idea is like, do you take a non-disclosure agreement and a payout? Right. And have some hopes of being able to continue on your career and the career path that you've chosen. Because let's remember, you are now being forced to leave your job, not the person who perpetrated the crime. Exactly. And so then and I think that's that's the balance. Right. And that's the the, the kind of what comes forward. And I think this is something, Amanda, you had said earlier, too, as well as like, look, you know, if this is what it takes. I mean, I just hope I hope to God that this again, this is not something that we're going to see a big bump and then it goes away again. I mean, Mm -hmm. is something that we have to force and keep like keep at the forefront of of this conversation and our organizing efforts. I mean, I think that when we when we're looking at kind of defining as candidates are looking for defining for the next election, the next election cycle, Sean and I have been saying out to coop that that 2018 is going to be so critical in this state right we already know that there's been more kind of women putting their names forward if wanting to run than ever before and i think that we need to be out in front actively campaigning for these folks and actively advocating for their candidacy and doing whatever it is whatever we can do um to get these other bums out of office and yes they may have done some good things in the past right great pat on the back now it's time to move on let's get the sea change in pennsylvania it's the only thing that i think is going to begin to sediment and put this stuff into practice for the longer term because we cannot afford to let this go kind of back and drift back into the silence again um i was going to say real quickly we have to put this on the feet of the state party as well the people like so um there was an incident back at the national convention back in july or august with a uh, female delegate from philadelphia she was sexually harassed groped by a delegate from the um, Philadelphia suburbs. And this became an issue within the Democratic Party. And she forced Marcel Groen to come up with a policy uh, to address um, sexual harassment within the Democratic Party. And they they shelved that policy since then. And if you look at the reaction of the Democratic Party, 
uh, with these two. Um, this, th- there's going to be a scandal breaking out here. This is just the beginning of it. It's not like it's just like these are going to be the only two. No, there's going to be more. I can tell you that. And there hasn't been a single word coming from Marcel Groen or the people running the Democratic Party. And so now you have organizations like Lancaster Stands Up, Keystone Progress, Reclaim Philadelphia, 215 People's Alliance, and other groups calling on the Democratic Party to have a concrete sexual harassment policy in place by January 5th. Well, there you go. I'm by looking the time I'm the very conscious of the, the fact that Colleen has start. got to get her kid. <laughs> so, Colleen, you were going to say something. She's I getting pick... dropped off. So oh, as long as we off. don't mind that I'm... Oh, that's fine. Okay, I thought you had to go get her. My bad. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we'll go back to you. So before the uh, before the the kid duties kick in, I still got about another hour before my. Oh, lucky you. Well, and I'm just thinking so many things that Sean just said. Right, how the federal government didn't have any sexual harassment training until like two weeks ago, right? And then I have to sit there and do it every year. But how did that? How was that even possible? And I really. Like, so, so can you tell it, like, what is, what seats are up? Like, what is up in 2018? What do I need to be paying more attention to in PA? Like, Sean, can you tell me, like, what do I need to focus my attention on? Well, um, so before I get into that, I will just say that there's also going to be a round of legislation that a bunch of people are pushing forward, the Me Too legislation. Um, after the Catal Jerome story broke out about the $250,000 in payouts, uh, House Minority Leader Frank Dermody released a statement uh, saying that he proudly endorsed House Reform House Resolution 612, which forced one extra hour of ethics training from two to three hours of training Problem on solved. sexual harassment once a session. <laughs> How do these people get their fucking jobs? You know what? I, this is making me so angry. I'm like, oh God. So uh, there is so, your anger. He put that out there, but um, a bunch of the younger male legislators, uh, especially like those like Mike Sloshberg, Brian Sims, Chris Rabb, the, the women who signed, co-signed the Me Too legislation, uh, they're forcing to make this an issue the very first legislative priority of 2018 when they come back. Uh, when they come back in January, this is going to be the first legislative policy that these young legislators want to take up. <clears throat> I know there's backroom talks about trying to get uh Cal- Jerome uh thrown off of some of the caucuses that he belongs to um with with younger democrats um they they, they wanted to uh they want to have nothing to do with him um the ones who are calling for his resignation are also trying to force him out of some um some some of his delegations that he belongs to and try to ostracize him from the party and really there's been no forceful uh reaction coming from the leaders of the party so uh the stuff that you are seeing coming forward is coming from people like uh Leanne Kruger Branicky, yeah. uh, Madeline Dean, who are uh, she's running for lieutenant governor, mm-hmm. um, and also your younger male and more progressive and your progressive male legislators. Um, they're they're going to be pushing for this Me Too legislation. They want it to be the top priority of 2018 once they return to session. Well, I know right now we have someone running that's uh, planning on running in the seventh. Right, um, there's a woman who's running in the seventh. Um, I'm just I'm free. Molly Shanine. Yeah, I mean, so we have, for example, and again, we're just. I mean, there, for- there, and there are women candidates running in these races. You have uh, Christina Hartman, and you have uh, Jess King running against Smucker out here in the Lancaster and like whatever areas his county, his district goes to. Jennifer um, O'Mara is trying to flip the one sixty fifth. We interviewed her on an extra extra. Katie Muth uh, running in Royersford uh, for the state senate. No, th- there are a lot of. There, there, there are a lot of people declared. I believe House DC, HDCC, the House Democratic Campaign Committee, had 
has 154, 155 people running as incumbents or challengers. Their high watermark was 175 back in 2006 when they flipped the state house. So they are pretty much like 20 people away from running their high watermark back in the mid 2000s uh, to try and retake the state house. And there are a lot of women running in these districts. Pennsylvania Together is one of the groups on Facebook to follow, or um, Turn PA Blue is another one. Uh, you'll see a bunch of energized women and female candidates uh, running in those groups. Yeah, Western PA, you have Sarah Inamorado. Uh, she's challenging Dom Costa. She got the DSA endorsement. And you have Summer Lee. She is running against Paul Costa out in uh, Braddock, too. And they just both secured the DSA endorsements. You have Elizabeth F uh, Fielder running in South Philly. She's running against Bill Keller. Again, another young progressive woman. So th there are people starting to challenge. Um, there are younger women out there starting to challenge you know, you're old white dudes who are still in office pretty much. One of the things that, that one of the things you mentioned that I want to kind of underscore a bit, which is, you know, if I have to look at my hopeful signs of actually concrete organizing kind of in the ground, um, it, it's the fact is, is that you're seeing, for example, DSA, Democratic Socialists of America, you're seeing the indivisible groups and things like this. Many of those organizations are led by, right, or at least a majority of the members are are women. And they represent a kind of a younger generation of activists that are coming up through the ranks that are doing concrete local organizing. And that, for me, is huge because that actually puts us in a position where people are getting the kinds of training in everyday politics. Because, look, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I came up, you know, at a time, I mean, growing up in the 80s, right, growing up was the Cold War that is still still out there. You got all the kind of culture wars happening out, happening kind of like across the country and kind of coming in and becoming an academic in that kind of climate where there was really ideologically rich discussions that were going on, all sorts of conflict and all this. Um, but then also kind of getting to the point where realizing there's real limits to those kind of like purely ideological debates, right? That it's like you have to actually couple that with political organizing. And I think really in my lifetime, this is the first time that we're at a moment where we're seeing those things begin to come together. It's often messy. It's often difficult. I mean, just if you look at like the Women's March and Black Lives Matter and the discussions that happened around there, in my mind, those were some of the most productive discussions that took place because neither of them went to their corners and went away, right? And that, that process is continuing right down at the local level. And that, I think, is our hope right there. No, I agree with you. I think that the, the hard conversations about how to make this into a material, how to make these conversations translate into some kind of material or political difference are finally being heard in academia. And I think that those intersections between, you know, thinking and doing are those intersections are getting stronger. And I think there are more and more people who are just not interested. You know, I always say it's like masturbatory. Like, I don't, yeah. you, you can talk about theory all day. I do not care unless it actually has some physical material consequence for people. And I will add that ends in equity, right? Yep. That ends in an equitable society. You know what? There's... I'm nodding. She's right. What she <laughs> said. <laughs> Uh, I wish everybody could see this because you can see Amanda actually pointed to her picture. <laughs> <laughs> what she said. What she said. Um, I did that a lot with Amanda too. What she said. <laughs> so one of the, one of the things, just kind of as we kind of start to bring this to a close, is one of the things that uh, that I want to underscore, at least uh, kind of leave for the conversation at this point, is that we hear a lot. People say we need to expand the conversation. We need to have a conversation about X, Y, and Z. And I have to say that that's always been a bit frustrating for me. 
when it strictly about the conversation. And I heard this, you know, um, this is uh, I listen to the Majority Report uh, podcast um, that I could listen to regularly. And <clears throat> the first time I heard someone actually put it in the way that is kind of like echoes the way I think about this. Um, Sam Cedar, who was uh, the host of Majority Report, is saying, you know, the same kind of issue here about a conversation. So, you know what? We don't need just a conversation. We need change right. in power. And the only time that, that those in power are going to actually have a real conversation, right, is when their own position of power is in threat. <laughs> right? when it, that's it. And so when people want to say, well, oh, we should have a conversation before. No, no. You know what? Half of, the, half of the people that come out and say that we need to have a conversation, what they're trying to do is defer any ability for their power right, to be taken away. And, and, and it's just a way of kind of delaying, a conver- delaying an actual change in order to have talk. Right. And it's, it absolutely drives me insane because this is kind of what we have to we have to also bring back into our discourse is we have to say what we're after here is not simply, you know, a change in a conversation. Of course, that's part of it. But we're also talking about a change of power. Right. So that we need to be talking in terms of power. And that means things like, OK, who are we going to run for office? That means like who's going to run this particular kind of committee? And that means like where are we going to put our dollars when we're deciding to contribute to someone? Right. All that kind of stuff needs to be part of what we do now in that organizing effort, not just have a disembodied conversation to give those people already in power time to circle their wagons and keep their power. Right. Tangible, practical activism, tangible, practical, do something right. Pressing send isn't enough. Right. You have to do something. And even if you're not running for office yourself, you can, like you said, you can support women candidates. You can support those candidates that you do agree with. You can put yourself out there a little bit more. You can challenge the structural problems and those attitudes that we see in our own lives, with our colleagues, with our friends, with our family. Little little interventions can make a big difference. But everybody who's seeing this and listening to this, we can all do this on small scale, and that is going to create the big wave. And I would say, don't just call your legislator about this, right? Um, call the House leaders and ask them why they're not doing this. Um, you know, last year, in the beginning of the year, we put up a piece, uh, Hold Them Accountable, or How to Defeat Senate Bill 3, the 20 week abortion ban. We pretty much listed and named every single House Democrat who voted for the 20 week abortion ban in the previous session. There were 10 Democrats, one retired, nine who didn't vote for it this time around. And a lot of people, you know, came up to us and said, no, it's probably because of you guys putting their faces out there on posters and saying, you're not going to vote for this. You know, if you if you do vote for this, there's going to be hell to pay. And, you know, you should probably be calling people like Dermody and calling uh, the House Speaker of the House's office, Mike Terzai, and demand them to bring up a vote on these um, on these issues. Um, and then also make people like Cattal Jerome and other re- Democrats or Republicans take a vote on this when they themselves have uh, sexual harassment suits with non-disclosure agreements or they have a history of sexual harassment. You know, there's it, it you know, put them in that uncomfortable position of making them go on the record with this. Indeed, you know, make indeed. them take that that house vote, that floor vote and that and that culture of silence. Right. I like that. Excellent. All right. So we're actually, we're, we actually, I can't believe that we, we're actually kept this like within an hour is what we're going to try to shoot for. This is pretty amazing. Uh, we're a little over, but that's okay. That's good. One of the things I, I hope, right, that we can return um, to do this kind of thing kind of periodically without this. I think it's a good, uh, 
a good way of, again, kind of building our own networks or building a little kind of counter power base where we can actually have these discussions with a range of audiences. Um, but, you know, to kind of bring this to a close today, why don't we just kind of go around the horn and kind of see uh, anything else you want to leave us with um, before we take off. Amanda, I want to start with you. Sure. Um, I am very hopeful, actually, despite how angry I am, <laughs> um, because I, I feel like we I keep reading about like we're in a tipping point, we're at a tipping point, And I have to side with my optimistic side on this. I do think that we are reaching a tipping point. I, I'm seeing people talk about these issues um, when it comes to things like structural power issues, standing up and holding power accountable, questioning those who are in leadership positions, who are elected, who are running organizations, more people standing up and saying, wait a minute, wait, 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 what? And I, I you know, I, I do, I don't know that we're going to see um, the sea change be this massive shift, like what I said in the beginning, I want to see women be the majority voices leading this and taking the lead. And I don't, that's not going to happen this year, but I do feel very hopeful that we're going to see a wave of women stepping up and not just reporting these heinous acts, but also um, taking positions, taking chances, taking the risk to step up and put themselves in a position to be elected or to run a committee or to run for something or get a job that is a little bit more higher up so that you can control things. I, I do feel like there are going to be some tangible positive results from this, even though we may all lose our hair pulling it out in the process. <laughs> Piggybacks into, you know, what I'm thinking, which is how I think what I want people to know is, is how hard and painful this is for women you know, I don't really enjoy reliving all these things that I've been through every day. It is not my job to drag them out and for the education of others. And I think that somebody's got to pick up the mantle. And at this point, it needs to be everybody. It can't but just be a few vocal women or a few women who are willing to throw their hats into the ring. If it's only going to be those women, this story is going to end the same way with women feeling silenced and with women feeling like there's nothing to protect them. And at some point, I guess if we were smart, we would just stop putting ourselves out there and rehashing our pain, but we're committed to structural change. And so individually, women continue to sacrifice their emotional health and donate their emotional labor to try to move the bar forward. And so when a woman is running or a woman speaks, maybe we could believe her and maybe we could try to support her. Awesome. Amen. I mean, 100%. Sean? Um, I would say that uh, let's not look at the Me Too movement in a frame of a uh, political movement that's aiming to take male scalps and hold them up to the sun gods here. <laughs> like, uh, you know, like people are talking about, is the movement going to be facing backlash or anything? No, it's not going to be facing a backlash. These are stories of things I've seen up close and personal being in Harrisburg over the past few years come forward to light, you know? Uh, you know, hearing a legislator making derogatory comments to uh, female staffers or towards uh, journalists and stuff like that. No, this is not like a bunch of women out to get men. This is, you know, people sharing their stories about uh, the, one of the most corrupted systems that we have in, you know, in our state government. 
There you have it. Well, you know, I've said my big piece for here, so I'm going to end with a plug, right? Uh, number one, I want uh, all listeners of Raging Chicken Press, I want you to get over to Inside 254 Podcast, right? You can check them up on Podbean um, and, you know, sign up for them. Um, they also, you can donate to um, Inside 254 Podcast. Um, and, again, if you're listening to Raging Chicken Press, you know our deal, right? Um, get over and expand it and support some other folks who are kind of doing the same kind of media work. Um, and thanks, Kevin. Hey, you got it. Um, so, Amanda, is there? Do you have a, a separate kind of uh, fundraising thing that you can go to? Uh, we we're right now we have a GoFundMe page. If you just look at Inside Two Fifty Four GoFundMe, it'll come up. Um, there you can make one time donation, and then we also have the the patron levels through the Podbean. Um, patron system. Those are our sort of two primary, you know, fundraising areas right now. Excellent. Well, I'm definitely going to put those in the links of the Radio Thank Chicken you. Press. Yeah, because I'm and this think- was great. This was a good idea, Sean. Thank you. Let's do this yeah. again. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. And so everybody, listen, uh, we all need to be all hands on deck um, as we kind of move forward. We have an opportunity here, and it, it's it, it's it's awful that opportunity always kind of tends to come out of these kind of crisis situations where people are already kind of just fighting to keep their head above water. Um, but here we are. So again, get over to Inside 254 Podcast and They've got an uh, episode coming up, right, Amanda? You're saying you've got one coming yep. up on toxic episode masculinity. Episode 26 drops um, January 5th. It's all about toxic masculinity. We dig into it. Our Trumpster fires on it. Um, how Trump is a great example of toxic masculinity. We get into definitions, examples. I mean, we kind of cover the whole thing. So, yeah, join us. And, and of course, make sure that you read Raging Chicken and listen to Out to Coop. I mean, I think we need, do need to support each other and because our agendas align. You know, we all are in this together, and we need to support each other. So, yeah, join us over on Inside 254, but keep reading Raging Chicken and listening to Out the Coop. <laughs> I think that's what we got to do. We got to bring everybody like into this so that we're actually showing people that it, you're not just going to go off and kind of find your favorite and kind of go into your corner, but rather we're looking for continued opportunities to kind of expand our organizing efforts so that we're actually translating what we're doing on these podcasts, we're doing these media services into direct action uh, kind of in the world. All right. Well, thank you all for kind of uh, taking the time out of right before the, the holiday season. I'm going to say freaking holidays. Right? <laughs> um, we get this going for um, I wish you all absolutely the best. Um, great breaks, great holidays. Um, and here's to a new year, uh, a new year in the struggle on reinvigorated organization. And we're going to take it back in 2018 to 2018. Fist bumps all around. <laughs> all right. We're out of here, folks. See ya! (laughs) Thanks for spending time with us inside 254. You can find us a lot of places online. On Facebook, we're at Inside 254 Podcast. On Twitter, we're at Inside 254 Pod. On Instagram, we are at Inside 254. And on WordPress, where we post links and places that you can go to donate or learn more about our activist actions, we're at Inside254Site, S-I-T-E dot WordPress dot com. You can find our free episodes on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play Music, and you can also just Google us. There are two things you can do to help us build audience today. You can go onto Facebook, click one of those stars, and leave a comment as feedback, And then you can go to your listening platform and rate us on there as well. By doing those two things, that's going to get our word out and help us build our audience. Thank you for helping us grow.